If you were to meet up with a group of travelers midway on their adventure, maybe sitting around a campfire having a chat, you'd likely find that most of them would agree with the benefits of travel, the scenery, the people, the culture, the adventure. Yet at the same time, many of those travelers will have different reasons for doing the trip that they're on. Maybe a simple vacation, maybe something big happened in their life that made them decide to get out and hit the road. There's so many reasons that people have to actually go out and do things that are are different. For Graham Field, he didn't know why he was motivated to travel until he finally found or discovered his nirvana, or as he says, nirvana. And now for something completely different, Graham Field. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Simon It's wind pressure that powers the MotoBreeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters. CyclePump.com. Now, if you're familiar with our Raw show that we do each month, by the way, it's a separate feed, you need to subscribe separately to it, you'll be familiar with the voice of Graham Field. And you probably picked up already that Graham lives in Bulgaria. Now, Graham is from the UK originally. And probably at some point you've wondered how or maybe why someone would do that. Why would they move from a country that they've known since birth to a country that's nothing like his own? I mean, when he moved there, he couldn't speak the language. He couldn't read the writing. I'm not even sure he had a plan, not a, not a fully baked plan. Well, that's what we're talking about today. And it gets interesting because it's, it's tied in with his motivation for travel. And it's only when he discovered this place that he realized why he had been traveling. In the words of Monty Python, and now for something completely different, Graham Field. I, I love animals, they taste so good. <laughs> yeah, while well, a bacon sandwich continues to taste so good, I just have to. <laughs> How long have you been in, in Bulgaria now? Nearly five years now. How do you come across Bulgaria? It's how did I come across it? Yeah, I don't mean the country. I mean, I mean as a, as an idea to live there. Well, um, it, it ticked all the boxes. Uh, it's it's only a little bit smaller than the UK, but where the UK has over sixty million people, there's only seven million here. So there is wide open space everywhere, and there are mountains, there are lakes, there are valleys, there are canyons. It's beautiful, unspoilt nature. And, uh, you know, you, it's not very, you don't have to go very far. I'm looking at the view now at the shed 
And you can just, there is no sign of humans. There's no telegraph wires, there's no lampposts, there's no houses. And there's just lots of wide open space, which I love. Uh, and then you've got the snow-capped mountains. The roads are pretty much empty, although they're atrocious. <laughs> and, uh, the drivers, the thing worse than the roads is the driving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, it's, and it's got four defined seasons. You know, you're going to get a hot summer. You know, you're going to get snowy winter, prolonged beautiful spring, and a golden autumn. And uh, it just it meets all my needs which outweigh the downsides of the impossible bloody language and the Cyrillic alphabet. So basically, I became illiterate. I couldn't read and I couldn't write and I couldn't spell and I couldn't, I couldn't speak um, because the Cyrillic alphabet is, is so alien to us. Uh, so, uh, but when you learn it, then you can at least pronounce the words you're seeing. And there's a few, I call it a free word when it's the same in English as it is in Bulgarian, but there's not many words like that. And um, I'm still learning. I have lessons every single day. And I've got this arsenal of, of words, but they're all, you know, they're, they're gender um, appropriate, whether it's male, female or plural. Or, and there's so many suffixes and prefixes prefix on, on a word that I know. So consequently, even if I get my point across with the worst Bulgarian, I can still get my point across. I never understand the bloody answer because what I get <laughs> back is so phonetically perfect, it's beyond my comprehension. So um, everybody thinks I'm a fool, but you know, I'm trying. I'm trying real hard. <laughs> you sound like a, a small child, really, that's sort of just getting the hang of the language. Well, yeah, my, my, my girlfriend's got a seven-year-old who is so, I thought, I'll learn with her. She's so advanced. She's totally bilingual English. When I try and speak Bulgarian to her, she just says, Graham, speak to me in English. <laughs> so you can't be bothered to translate from your Bulgarian to, to her Bulgarian. <laughs> but, so, but you consider this your home. Like, this is sort of like your kind of first home. I mean, I know it's not your first home, but it, but it, but you really see it as the home. Yeah, a lot of people still didn't, don't get that. I mean, I've got friends in England, and when I come, you know, I'll visit, and they say, well, you, you're going to be home for Christmas? Yeah, I'm going to be home in Bulgaria for Christmas. That is my home. I haven't got houses all over the planet. I've got one house, and it's here. I live here. This is my home. Well, I guess most people do that, though. Most people think of where they're from as, as home. I mean, it's kind of funny when you hear people say, oh, you're still living at home. Well, where else would you live? <laughs> you know, that's a reference to living at your parents' house. Back with mum and dad, yeah. yeah, yeah. The the thing is, you've you've been into traveling since you started. What backpacking? I guess at what age? Well, I mean, we did the family package holidays, and then when I was eighteen, went and lived in the states for about a year and a half, and then did the backpacking thing, sort of a, a, around the world, which was in the early night. Well, it was nineteen ninety to ninety one. And then around India on my own and then cycling through China and India and then discovered that motorbikes and travel can be put together and then sort of everything changed. So, yeah, always travel. It's the one constant in my life. Yeah. What, what, what is why travel? I mean, what does it do for you? Um, well, you know, that's a good question, Jim. I think before living in England, I was never very happy where I lived. I was I was not very content. Uh, again, with the scenery, with the with the amount of people, with the quality of life, that seemed to you know you seem you know work for fifty weeks and have two weeks holiday, and it just wasn't it just didn't seem right. And so I figured that I can work hard as a truck driver, do a lot of hours, 
no time to spend it, save hard, and then I can go away for three months, six months, a year, depending on how I choose to travel, what, what, whether I'm backpacking or, or, or what country I'm in, if I'm in a cheap country. And I always enjoyed the variety, the excitement, the the unknown of it. And it wasn't necessarily about motorcycle travel because for years I, I traveled before without a motorcycle. But, um, you know, the interaction of the cultures and, and uh, you can't help but learn and, uh, and the people you meet, the wider view you get. And it was always so depressing to be on the plane and seeing green England beneath me when I was coming back to the UK. Really? Not just... Not specifically because it was a country, because I do see it as a beautiful country now. I see it through different eyes. But England represents going back to work, going back to that lifestyle. So you can do it again. And now I live in Bulgaria. It's um, And it's so easy to travel. I mean, I can be in Istanbul in, in I don't know, in four or five hours. I can be across into, in, into the continent of Asia in four or five hours uh, on a whim. Well, maybe not so much this year, but, you know, I can just – Ride across and it's there. Or Serbia or Greece or Romania or Macedonia. I've got so many beautiful countries which uh, which I do just jump on the bike and just go away for a couple of days. But having lived in the UK, which is an island, I haven't got a book ferries, haven't got a book, um, you know, channel tunnels. I can just independently travel to these other countries, which is wonderful. And the ir- irony is... I live in such a beautiful place. I don't really want to go anywhere anymore. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, if, if you've got a place now that you consider the home, I keep trying to say, you know, to find some some sort of wording for it. But then why leave? Like, like is travel like two or three days? I mean, that's not what you used to do for travel. Is travel done for you because of this move? I don't think so because I, I mean, no, I have plans sure. for this. Well, no, you just well, said I don't think so. Well, listen, let me, I'll, I'll tell you if you let me tell you. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, well, you know, as we all know, this year and travel have sort of let us quite do what we want to. So I did have plans for, for later on this year to to do what I consider to be a reasonable sized trip. You know, my trips, the, the ones that I've written about are generally about three months long. So I did have a plan like that. Obviously, that's not going to happen now. So I still do have these sort of yearnings to jump on the bike and go to the places I'm, I'm yet to see. Uh, but ultimately, what I, uh, and it goes back to sort of having that uh, independence and that spontaneity is just to be able to go to Romania and ride around the Carpathians for a couple of days. And I really love that aspect of it. I mean, when I used to do the bike shows, uh, you know, as a trader, and people would come up to have a chat with, uh, about stuff before they bought a book, and they would say, oh, you know, I, I did a trip, but nothing compared to what you did. But, you know, I'm going to be camping in the Cotswolds on the way back. And it's like, well, that's more than I've done because I've driven here in a van. I'm sitting behind me stall all day and then I'll be driving back in the van. So your little micro adventure is significantly more fun and, and you're riding your bike and you're camping out than I've done this weekend. And so it was just never something I had. It was either a big trip or it was nothing at all. And now I'm able to do, I don't really like the term micro adventure, but I'm able to do those little spontaneous, oh, I've got three days with nothing much to do. It's going to be sunny. I'll jump on the bike and go to Montenegro or whatever. You know, I love that, 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 those possibilities. Why don't you like the term micro adventure? I don't know. It just sounds a bit small. <laughs> <laughs> or is it the label? Do you not like giving things labels? Oh, I don't know, micro-adventure. It just sounds a bit, I don't know, it sounds like you're on a monkey bike going down to a circus or something. I don't know. 
you mentioned before about you're, you're sort of escaping your life, escaping work. Now you're, you're kind of retired. You're doing the writing thing and, and making some money from books and things to get by, but you're kind of retired. Does that not change your, the way you look at travel? Um, well, I suppose I uh, does it. I don't know. I haven't got an answer for this. <laughs> um, yeah, I am kind of retired, but I, I don't know. Again, I sort of struggle with what is retirement. Is that just sort of sitting on the couch, watching the clock tick? You know, <laughs> you still got to do something that your work you do, you defines you. So I still write. I still uh, am quite involved in the adventure bike scene and, and doing the books and stuff. So it's just, it happens to be something that I love doing. So I don't really feel that it's work. So when I'm up at six o'clock on a Sunday morning to get something finished to send off to a to a magazine or something, it just doesn't feel like work because I love doing that. But um, but to a degree, it's retirement because I'm not having to get up, buy an alarm clock and go and fix someone's broken toilet or drive a truck for 14 hours or whatever else I used to do to try and put food on the table. Yeah, I mean, that's retirement to most people is not worrying about the income, right? You've got enough to get by on sort of thing. And, and you don't have, you're not pressured to go do things that you don't really want to do. Well, I used to say I've got enough money to last me the rest of my life as long as I die at 70. <laughs> unfortunately, the pound's lost a lot of its value. So now it's 68. <laughs> oh, so what happens when you get to that number then? I'll worry about that if I get there. <laughs> if you get there, you don't have a lot of faith. Well, okay, you know, what's the point, you know? <laughs> Make sure the last check bounces, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned there just just uh, in, in passing there, you mentioned living in the States for a year and a half. What was that all about? Uh, I spent a lot of my life there. Uh, I used to go, I got friends in Colorado and uh, like I say, I went there when I was 18 and, and probably spent about seven years of my life there all told. Uh, and, and again, there's, there's a lot of similarities between Colorado and here in Bulgaria with the mountains and the, and the very defined seasons. So I, I really enjoyed it out there and uh, it, it, was, it was lovely. I mean, the, the scenery is spectacular and I, I did like it, but I couldn't stay there. The only way for me to stay there was to uh, marry a US citizen. And um, I don't have a lot of faith in marriage, but I certainly wouldn't do it for convenience. If I do it, it's got to be for the right reasons. So there was no way I was going to marry for a green card. And the difference with here in Bulgaria is I don't have to look over my shoulder. I'm, I'm legitimate. I'm, I'm, I'm here legally. And uh, it's quite a nice feeling. <laughs> That's always handy. <laughs> From the UK, but, but when you were living in the UK, you had a home there as well. You owned a home. Yeah, yeah. So, what did you? That's just a, a normal thing where you're you're working, driving truck, and you you get a mortgage and you're paying for your house. Exactly that. Yeah, you get a mortgage, you twenty five year mortgage. You work, you pay your mortgage off, and uh, I was twenty seven when I got it, which meant I was going to be fifty two. Which, when you're twenty seven, seems like a, a, <laughs> a very long way away. Mm. And uh, but it, it happens. One thing that doesn't matter what you do with your life, time will pass. And uh, the mortgage got paid. And uh, so I was free. I was free of the mortgage, which was uh, a wonderful thing. And still, still had, still had <laughs> some, some degree of youth and, and, and sort of a fit body. So I was able to go off and do those rides. And so often it shows these guys have come up and say, oh, when I retire, I'm going to do what you do. It's like, what's retirement age now? It's like, is it like 70 or something for, for men in the UK? What on earth makes you think you're going to, it bloody hurts when you drop your bike, when you fall over, when you have a, you don't, you don't, you don't bounce anymore, you break. And um, you can't wait, you can't wait that long. You've got to do it now. 
so well, that was a home for you then. Why why were you not satisfied with that? In the UK? Yeah. Um, well, it, where I lived in the southeast of England, it is super crowded. And so, you know, as a motorcyclist, there's no empty roads. There's, there's, so there's, that's, and it's just so expensive. I'm not a high earner as a truck driver or as a handyman fitting kitchens and bathrooms. It's not really good money in that. So the quality of life is low. You know, you, 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 you pay your bills and you don't really have a lot of disposable income. Um, whereas, in Bulgaria, it's significantly cheaper uh, cost of living. It, you know, it comes at a price. Like I say, the roads are atrocious, and there's a there's a lot of things which aren't to the standard as they are in a more affluent country. But I'm prepared to take that in exchange for the fact that, um, you know, when I get my electricity bill, I don't have to wonder how the hell I'm going to pay it now unless I leave the hot tub. <laughs> so you you had your house for sale though in in the UK for a long time. Where were you looking to move to? Well, this is a problem I didn't really know. Um, it had been on the, on the market for about seven years. And I'd been down in Central America on the bike. And um, when I got back, there was a note pushed through the door. And it said, sir, I want to buy your house. <laughs> thought, oh, OK, then. So uh, long story short, I just got back from, uh, I don't know how long I've been there, about three or four months in, in Central America, and got back. And all of a sudden, the house was going to sell. So I'm on the internet looking at houses to buy in the UK and they're just so expensive and you get so little for so much money that you spend. And um, and would you be moving up or, or would you just be buying with the money you get? Well, the theory was being in sort of kitchen and bathroom trade, if I could find something that needed fixing up, I could I could sort of do that, which is what I sort of was done with the house that I bought, but um, it hadn't really worked out. <laughs> so anyway... Um, so I'm thinking, uh, I just couldn't face doing it. I just couldn't face. And I was imminent. Uh, homelessness was imminent. You know, <laughs> there was only a few weeks left before I was going to be selling my house. And there was a Horizons Unlimited meeting in Bulgaria. And I'd been asked to, to speak there. So um, I was going to ride down to Bulgaria and do, uh, do my little talk at the Horizons meeting. And, uh, and then my bike broke down. <laughs> I didn't even, couldn't even ride there. So I got no bike. I'm going to be homeless. <laughs> Nowhere to go. So long story short, finally got a flight to Bulgaria. And uh, met, I'd been here in, that was in 2015. And I'd been there two years prior to that when I'd done the ride down to Iraq and stuff. So I, um, it's, uh, I met him and it was, it was great to be back and it just felt right again, just landing at the airport. It was just something about this country. It just, it, I just kind of felt myself sort of open. It just, I just felt grounded. It, it felt right. Anyway, in this little village uh, where the Horizons Unlimited meeting was, there was this house for sale and uh, I went up and had a look the next day. And it was just ideal, perfect. Perfect is the same word in Bulgarian and English. So this little old Bulgarian lady's showing me around with not a word of English as I don't Bulgarian. And we're walking through the garden, I'm going, perfect. And we're looking at the views, perfect. And it was, and it was just, it was handed to me on a plate. It came with knives and forks and kettle and pots and pans and a bed and absolutely everything. And uh, so I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to have it. And flew back home, jumped on the KTM, which was now repaired. And in my panniers, I had a subwoofer, a motorhead poster, and some hair care products. And I rode down to Bulgaria in 48 hours, 1,600 miles, 
and moved in. I didn't need anything else. Stuck the head poster on the wall, put on some music, washed my hair, I was ready. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of compulsive, wouldn't you say? You've got the whole thing to deal with. Sorry, you've got the whole thing to deal with it because it's not just a house in another country. You have a language barrier. That is huge for most people to to think about how am I going to get over this language barrier? It is huge. And it's kind of strange because, I mean, in the UK, if you're going to a shop where you know you're going to need assistance, generally you'd look for an older person who's more knowledgeable, more experienced and can probably help you with the decisions you need to make. Whereas here, I always look for the younger person because they're more likely to speak English. (laughs) (laughs) And also you tend to find yourself, you know, oh, I need to get some raw plugs. Well, I'm not going to go to the local DIY shop because how the hell am I going to mime raw, raw plugs? But if I go to the big DIY store, I can pick them off the shelf. So very much in favour of shops where you can pick what you need off the shelf without having to go through the charade of trying to, trying to do it. Although I must admit, you know, my Bulgarian is a little bit better now and I can kind of ask for stuff. And there are certain shops where they're very tolerant of my ineptitude and will happily watch me struggle. And uh, there's a there's a cable shop where I buy wire for electrics, whether it's wiring a motorcycle or, or, or doing something in the house. And I explain what the cable I want and the thickness and, and the length and everything. And I get it all and he measures it and he puts it all up and then he'll say, uh, oh, uh, 7 left 36. So, so you speak English then, do you? <laughs> <laughs> but, but for a lot of people, just trying to speak the language, you, you sort of endears you to them. I think so. Um, well, I hope so. And there's, there's a lot of English people here. There are, you, you don't have to go very far before you bump into one. Um, and so I think they're, they're used to it to a degree. I, and, and you know what? I can spot them now. I mean, if I'm in a supermarket, I can just spot someone say, oh, they're English. I can just tell, as, as my girlfriend can. We've got a look. We've got a way about us. And, and, and what do you, we, mean? you mean they're from the UK or they speak English? Yeah, no, no, they're from the UK. We mm. do. We do. There's certain traits that I can now tell. Uh, where I can spot an English person in Bulgaria. It's not because they're driving on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think before we even get to the checkout, people probably have got me long hair and my earrings, my mountain T-shirt, and they probably know I'm not a Bulgarian and there's going to be a bit of a struggle with the conversation. <laughs> the, the house that you bought, it, it, you, you got sort of an expat village around you, don't you? Well, it is a little bit because there's this place motor camp in, uh, here in, in Bulgaria, which is a, a, a sort of a motorcycle haven. Um, so a lot of people come through. And, and what happens is these uh, people come through on their round-the-world trips or whatever, and uh, inevitably they meet some uh, expats who live here. And they start hearing about the way of life here. And then they think, well, that sounds good. And then they say, maybe I won't go to Iran. Maybe I'll just buy a house here and um, – and it, I don't know how many we've got. I think we've got about probably 10 full-time and maybe same again part-timers who still work in the UK but have a house here. So there is a bit of a a Brit um, sort of population here, as there is across the country. Um, but I'm, and, and I was saying something the other day, I was like, you know, I never felt unwelcome. I've, no one's ever said to me, oh, why don't you go back to where you come from? Or, or if they did, I didn't understand what they said. <laughs> <laughs> All those greetings and nodding of head could have meant something completely different. <laughs> Motocam. What is Motocam? Talk more about that. 
Uh, well, it's um, it's it's a it's a very small uh, place. It's probably about six rooms and a campsite, and um, it's probably going now for maybe ten years. And um, it's a wonderful place. It's run by a couple of Bulgarians, and uh, it's just so relaxed. You just feel the first time I came through was on my way to Iraq, and you you pull in the gates, and you just kind of feel this weight lifted. This stress that you inevitably get when you're on a long trip where you're always concerned about, you know, the next border or the fuel in your tank or the food in your panniers, or there's always a worry. There's always some concern. And the second you pull into motor camp, it all just kind of lifts. And there isn't a single sign anywhere. There's nothing telling you to do this and do that. The beer is on the honor system. You help yourself out the fridge, you write it down on a piece of paper, and it's just got this relaxed vibe. And without exception, you hear, if I go down there in the evening, um, you'll hear someone say, I think I'll stay another night. <laughs> or um, we stayed a bit longer than we intended to. And it, it has that thing. It's it's beautifully run. It's it's just got this this laid back vibe. And it's a wonderful break from the road. When uh, when you've been on the road for a while, you know, there's a washing machine. You can get your laundry done. There's a workshop. You can work on your bike. You can change your oils. They have connections in every aspect of your needs, whether you need tires or batteries, parts, camping equipment, welding done. Whatever your needs are, they will find a fix for it. So it's a nice little pit stop. It's a rest. It's a break on the road. So um, it's, it's – and, and now – it's kind of my local. I don't go down there as much as I used to, but when you do, particularly, you know, in full summer, you're guaranteed uh, you're going to meet someone from, obviously from not just outside of Europe, but from world travellers. They've come through from Australia or Canada or the States and um, people store their bikes there um, and, you know, will go back to their native country to either earn some money or, or whatever and then come back and start their trip later on. So there's a, a, always a diversity of nationalities and and consequently of, of conversations as well. So it's a stimulating place. Is it on route? Uh, like, is it on a main uh, motorcycle route or do people go out of their way to go to motocamp? Well, I mean, if you're heading towards Turkey, it's not so far out of your way. So, I mean, you will be funneled through. I mean, whatever, whether you're coming from Spain or or Italy or the UK or Scandinavia, you'll be funneled towards, if you're going towards Asia, you'll be funneled which, of course, you have to go through Turkey, you'll be funneled to Bulgaria. So it's not that far out your way. Typically, if you're coming up from Africa or going down to Africa, uh, Bulgaria, being in southern Europe, is uh, well, it's changed a little bit now. You can't go from uh, – you used to go down to Port Elizabeth, didn't you, in, in Egypt, but I think that's changed now. But the point is, um, it is en route. Uh, I think if you're doing a big trip uh, – uh, you know, it wouldn't be more than a 200-mile diversion. So, it's, you know, it's only another day. And uh, and people who know, and I think the word is is out now, people who know about the place know it's worth, uh, worth the diversion. In the last couple of years, they've really expanded. They've got a much bigger campsite. I was there the other night. They've got a big fire pit now. You sit around the fire. So it has got a, a, a very chilled vibe. And I almost wish because obviously I can't see it as a traveller now. I'm not going to camp there when I live five minutes walk away. <laughs> but, um, I miss that aspect of it because when you're actually living in it, it's, uh, you, there's a different vibe. You, you, you're part of the pulse, you know. And you can almost see this from your place. 
Yeah, um, I can't see it from where I'm sitting now, but yeah, if I'm on the balcony, I can I can see the bikes coming now. Because when I first moved here, it's thought, oh, every time I hear a bike, I'm going to run down and see if I can sell a book. <laughs> <laughs> that wore off quick, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so if it, if it wasn't for Motocamp and for these expats there, do you think you would have bought there? You, you would have, you know, even if you'd been introduced to the house, because there's tons of places to live in the world and probably tons that have great deals, because I, I know the, the real estate is, is quite inexpensive there. But um, would, uh, would you be there without them? Yeah, well, I, I probably wouldn't have been able to get this place without them because they were a huge help. Uh, but I would definitely stay in Bulgaria. I don't know if I'll stay in this village. There are better views. Um, and I, I, I see these places which have got these huge, um, uh, you know, 180-degree pan- panoramic of snow-capped mountains. And I kind of want that view. So, but for me... Bulgaria is, is the place where I want to call home. I, I love it here. And um, <laughs> and I think, you know, I'll have a bad day where I absolutely fail with the language and I can't make the simplest thing come right. And I just think, ah, screw this, you know. But then I think, well, what's the alternative? Go back to England? And then I don't even want to talk to people. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so, you know, yeah, of course you have your bad days. And it, and it is infuriating when I can't get my point across. Or worse still, when I can't understand what somebody is friendly, you know, saying to me. And, and I, I just wish I could communicate more. God knows what they think and say about me. But it all come and it's getting better. And when I think back to where I was five years ago, and I remember being in the supermarket, and I said to my Bulgarian friend, I said, how do you say thank you? He said, Blagadaria. I said, what? I said, Blagadaria. I said, what? Blagadaria. What? For thank you? <laughs> I've got to learn all those syllables just to say thanks. And, uh, and it got harder from there. <laughs> well, it's kind of curious what you just said a few minutes ago when you said about how, you know, when you when you came through as a tourist, so to speak, on your on a trip, you felt so great staying at Motocamp. And now, of course, you're local and you don't have that. That can be the same for the country itself. I mean, we always see things in a certain way when you see things fresh. You go to a new place, whether it's within your country or province or state or whatever it is, or somewhere completely different. There's something about it because you're seeing it for the first time. It, it's so special. You know, we get it here where we live. The scenery is incredible, but you don't even look at it every day. Has some of that drained away for you because now you're you're local? You're just a guy living at his house. Well, it's funny, you know, because I mean, there is because this was under it was under communism until 25 years ago. So there's a lot of really brutal Soviet architecture and statues around, and uh, it's, it's it's very odd. And you still get horse and carts in the street, so it is sort of a place where east, east meets west. But I mean, when I lived in the UK, if I had an overseas visitor come, they would they'll be seeing it through fresh eyes and consequently make me see things which I took for granted, like all the rabbits at the side of the road and, and I don't know, all the, all the beer mats on a pub bar or, or just stuff that I just didn't see anymore, I will become aware of. And I must admit, over five years, I've become a little bit more complacent and more used to the things that I was so wide-eyed about when I first got here. But um, I just recently wrote a, a new book about uh, moving here and it took me back to how I was five years ago and I'm seeing everything with fresh eyes again. So I am seeing like the the, the, the Soviet architecture and the appalling driving, the old Travants and Larders on the road and, and all those things which I now have become a bit more accustomed to. I started seeing with fresh eyes again, which was really good because, um, you know, there, there are reasons why you move to a place. It's not like I fell out of love with it, but I was getting that that newness, that twinge, that excitement was coming back again, which was uh, was a real bonus. The new book is is near Varna, 
when you found your green. We're going to take just a quick break and thank a couple of sponsors to help make this episode possible today. But stick around because when we come back, we're going to dig a little deeper into some of the dirt that, that Graham has in his book. Stay with us. If you've ever had cold feet in your life, not just riding your bike, then you'll be interested in what I have to say here. Pearly's Possum Socks. Pearly's Possum Socks is the official sock of Adventure Rider Radio. I don't know why we have an official sock other than the reason that I just get so excited about them. These are amazing socks that are made with a blend of merino wool and possum fur. Now, to me, that sounded ridiculous until I actually got into, well, actually, until I tried them. Once I tried them, and they, they really blew me away. I mean, not only in comfort, the way they fit, but the way they keep my feet warm. Then I started to dig into it and get interested in how they're made. And it's really interesting that this blend has all kinds of beneficial things that it does. It wicks away moisture. It keeps your feet warm, even when the socks are wet, if they do get wet. And really important for people who ride in boots, which most of us do, they don't stink. There's something about them, the lanolin that's in the, the fur naturally, it suppresses or, or kills the bacteria that makes socks stink. And you know how ripe socks can get after being in there for a while. They are the best socks you're going to find for riding. As a matter of fact, you're, when you get them, you're going to find that you use them for everything else, which is what I do as well. I even use them in the summertime because they they just make my feet more comfortable in my boots. They feel fantastic. And I don't find them that warm uh, for the summertime. I mean, the boots are warm already. I, I don't find they make that much of a difference. Anyway, have a look at what they've got. It's pearlyspossumsocks.com. And anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Pearlyspossumsocks.com. IMS Products was founded in, in 1976 and has been owned and operated by off-road racers and enthusiasts for over 40 years, actually well over 40 years, actually. IMS relies on its employees' years of experience riding, racing, and building dirt bikes, ATVs, and other uh, other vehicles to develop the, the innovative products that they have, like their fuel tanks. Their fuel tanks are so common, their the IMS fuel tanks. But more importantly, what I want to mention right now are their foot pegs. They have a full line of foot pegs for us adventure motorcyclists, all made with cast 17-4 stainless steel. They use a certified heat treating process. They're built in the USA, and they have a lifetime warranty. And I know from, I can, I can tell you from experience rather, from riding on these pegs for years now, they make an incredible difference. They do everything they're supposed to do and more. And, and the neat thing is, and I've said it before, is that this is a product that when you put it on your bike, you will forget after you get used to how good they feel and how much connection you have with your foot uh, to your bike, you will forget that they're there. And that's because they're doing their job that well. You don't have to think about it anymore. You know you're connected to the bike. IMSproducts.com is a website. And anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. The new book is is near Varna. Um, when you found your greener grass. Now, this is a this is a book you you wrote about moving um, from the UK Essex to uh, your current uh, spot in Bulgaria, and what you sort of went through to get there. Now, you have three other books out. You've got In Search of Greener Grass, Eureka, and Different Natures. They're all travel books. This book is about I don't know. In my mind, it's almost like becoming an untraveler in a way. Um, a little bit. I mean, it was going to be called Traveled. 
when you found your green grass. <laughs> uh, but then um, to, to people who don't know the geography of Bulgaria, there are, there are two big cities, the capital, Sofia, and then the big city on the coast, on the Black Sea coast, which is called Varna. And so because I sort of live between the two, I'm near Varna, near Varna. And uh, that's what I called me house is near Varna. And um, so the thing, all, all my books, that, including this new one, are all diaries. They're all, uh, the, the, when, whether I'm traveling, it's every, every day is a day of the journey. And so it's got that in common because it's a diary and it's like, a, and it was traveling initially because I was getting down here several times, first on a bike and then in a van, you know, bringing my stuff. But it's the daily diary, the observations, the thoughts, the occurrences, the interactions of what happens. So it's not as travelly because obviously it's about finding some roots and settling down. But I think if if you if people have read the other books and they like the sort of the the, the brutal honesty and the tantalising aspect of reading someone else's diary, then it's definitely still got those aspects. I, I admit it's probably just gone away a little bit from the adventure travel. But adventure it still is because it's the adventure of moving into a completely different country. Instead of passing through, you are stopping. And so you start seeing far more than those people who pass through would because you, uh, you're interacting on a daily basis and you get to see what's going on. And um, it covers the first, I don't know, two months of, of, of moving here and the transition of because you don't just buy a house and then live because you've got to break all those ties with your native country and and that's probably the difficult bit is working out what baggage you want to bring from your old life and what you want to keep clean and pristine in your new life and uh, there was a, there was a, a just this this plethora of things that you would never consider until you moved into a house, stupid little things about, you know, how you purchase stuff, how you register at electricity company to, to big things like the, the, the winters and how you get your fuel. And, uh, and, and then when you do, you like the only heating in the house is from a log burner and, um, and you better make sure it doesn't go out at night because, and if you, you can't just go away for a couple of days because your pipes will freeze. So there's all these climate um, and the same in the, in the summer when it's so hot, you don't leave your windows open in the day, you leave your windows at night open and then you close them at day in the day so the hot air doesn't come in so just this transition of things that all the people who live here know is second nature to them but to you it's i'm sure the locals are all pointing their finger oh another idiot englishman moved in <laughs> <laughs> and also the the, the the three um uh, the three utilities we have internet uh water and electric electricity they are like sex and drugs and rock and roll. It is so rare you get all three together. The water goes off constantly. The electricity, we had an electricity cut a few hours ago. I thought, oh, no, Jim's going to call. The electricity's off. If I have to hotspot, that's going to use up all my data. So, um, and, and, and so all these things. And, and then in the winter, you'll get a big snowstorm. The electricity goes off, went off last year for about 18 hours. And we had about a metre of snow outside. So in the end, the freezer's been off all day. And I'm thinking, right, I'm just going to have to take everything out and bury it in the snow. It's dark. It's freezing cold. So I've dug a big hole in the snow, taken everything out of the freezer, stuffed it in the snow, put snow on top of it, went back inside, lights came on. (laughs) 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 Dig all my food out of the snow. (laughs) As you mentioned, everything is um, in sort of a diary because you're actually reading from your diary. And when you read the book... And you said about brutal honesty. When you read the book, it's it's kind of like 
somebody has peeled open the side of somebody's house and you're looking inside and you're thinking, should I really be seeing this stuff? It, it just sort of makes you a little bit queasy, some of it, because you are brutally honest in it. Why does that have to be in there? Um, because if it wasn't, it would just be banal. It would be dull. I mean, the, 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 the feedback I always get from my in the reviews is like, I felt like I was there. You know, it's totally honest. I think there's a lot of chest beating adventurers out there who love to sort of, you know, talk about how brave they were and how they overcame these elements. And it's a diary. You don't lie in your diary. And I just think it makes it more real if you, if you, if you keep the, the truth in there. And I've, I mean, like, there were several proofreaders over the process of, of the publishing process and people did come back to me and say, are you sure you want to put that in there? And I said, yeah, I'm going to keep it in there because because it's part of who I am. It's part of what the transition was. And it, yeah, it leaves me wide open. But what the hell, you know, it's it, it, it's I think it gives it it gives it substance. It makes it it keeps it real. Give me an example. What, what do they ask you if you want to leave in? I know what you want me to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want anything, Graham. I'm just asking you a question. That's it. It's up to you how you answer. Well, okay, there were some bits I had to be a bit careful of because this is the village where I live in. And inevitably in a small village, there will people will butt heads. There will be some 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 examples of, of people falling out and, and, and inevitably there's gossip. But I had to be kind of careful with that one because you know, they will see this book and I still do have to live here. So I do have to sort of be a bit careful about, you know, the he said, she said stuff. But for example, Jim, there was a point as I approached my 50th birthday where you decided you wanted to interview me on my birthday, my 50th birthday. And I just happened at the time to have a brand new girlfriend and I'd been deliberating over what I was going to do with my 50th. Am I just going to sit and sulk inside a bottle or am I going to do something significant? You know, it's a birthday with a zero. You've got to do something. So we stayed in this hotel in London with this new girlfriend and she was very new. I didn't even know her name properly. And, and I knew you were going to call. So it was on my mind, on my mind, on my mind. And uh, because of that, I was having a little bit of trouble <laughs> performing. What, what do you mean? <laughs> I couldn't get it up, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it was funny because it was part of the day. And the second the interview was over, everything was fine. And so there I am, you know, I've just about, I just reached 50. Oh, God, is this is how it is now? Is this like the male menopause? Is this going to be a regular occurrence? You know, is this what I've got to look forward to? But then the interview finished. It's like, oh, no, I was just a bit worried about talking to Jim. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know that I've ever had that effect on anyone before, nor do I want to know. <laughs> ah, but if they were more honest, you'd probably hear about it happening a lot more often. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there's things like, I mean, as, as you said, you know, you're, you're honest and you have to be careful in, in some cases because you're still dealing with these people. But um, that's the problem with, with brutal honesty. I mean, you can call it brutal honesty, but it's also internal thoughts. I mean, you're writing to your diary with internal thoughts and then you're airing them and making them public. Um, you can end up taking off a lot of people. Um, well, again, I think I was kind of, I used a moment of diplomacy when I was talking about other people. But, you know, with, with the trip Eureka, with the book Eureka, I very briefly, um, it was going to be a trip over to the stands, got as far as Azerbaijan. I'd been on the road for six weeks, been through Iraq and Turkey and stuff, and it just wasn't doing it for me. I wasn't getting the feeling. I was doing this, which was my second big trip, really to write a second book, which was for all the wrong reasons. So on the edge of the Caspian Sea, I decided, screw it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to pull the plug. I'm going to turn around and go back. 
It wasn't directly back because I didn't have anywhere to live because my house was rented out. But nevertheless, I turned around. There isn't going to be a book. There isn't going to be a trip. And eventually, it was still three months from when I left to when I got back. It was still 15,000 miles. It was, And it was still significant. And when I got back, I thought, well, you know what? I am going to write about it. And uh, again, it was brutally honest. And then the feedback was, oh, so it's okay to have these thoughts. I thought that too, but I didn't dare express it. It's mm. okay that a trip goes wrong. It's okay that living the dream is actually a nightmare and I'm not having a good time. So I was brave enough, I suppose, to put those thoughts down for people to see. And then people came back and said, oh, okay, well, I thought that too. That's happened to me. And I think to a degree that will happen here. And you know, I talk about depression a bit and I talk about, you know, what, what I, I live alone, I work alone, I write alone. I have quite a, a singular life, which gives you a lot of time for thought and reflection. And that gets put in the diary, that gets put in the book. And, and anybody who has any helmet time at all knows that they get introspective. I think it's an inevitability. And um, so, you know, when I get introspective, I... I I write it down and um, like I say, maybe I'm exposing myself, but what the hell, you know, people seem to like it. And uh, and, it, and if it gives it value and if, it, if people enjoy it and they get entertained from it, then I don't mind giving a little bit of myself for that. I think that's a quote from a flasher, isn't it? I, I think I read that somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's where I got it from. I read it on his belly. <laughs> you know, it, it's, from, it's from your diary. And, um, <laughs> you know, you, you even said in, I think in this book, I think it was this book. Maybe it was one of your others. I think it was in this book where you said um, you write these meticulous diaries out every day obsessively about what happens in your day. And you can tell when you read this because the descriptions are so good. The only way you could ever write this is either one, make it fiction or two, have some incredibly uh, good details in a diary that you're reading from. But you even say in that that you're not leaving these diaries to anybody because everybody you know has got a slagging, as you say. In other words, they have been <laughs> dissed at one point in their diary. So, I mean, if you, if you know, Graham, and you're listening to this, you might want to buy the book because you see if you're, you're in the book but i mean <laughs> what happens to the diaries then well they're for me they're for my memory i've got an appalling memory so um they're not written for you know the wealth of history and i expect some anthropologist to dig them up in a hundred years time and say oh so this is how it was when covid19 happened you know <laughs> uh, it's, it's just it's just bollocks it's just me writing about me days and it's not really for anybody it's it's just it's just for me it's just for my memory for my recollection and that's how it always was that's how it started in 1988 when i started my first diary so you know over 30 years of diaries now and i love it because if you know you know you see something on facebook and they'll say oh when was your first concert or what was your best concert and i think oh i remember that well where was that and i can look up the date i can look up the specific date and i can or, or when an album was released, or what I was doing on that day in history, and uh, I love to have that ability to do that, and and I rely on them for that because I don't really have to recall <laughs> without the diaries. So, um, and you you see patterns as well, patterns in behavior, pattern you can, you can keep making the same mistakes. It's, oh look at that, I did that before as well. Well, I mean, I, I can <laughs> see a pattern just in that book itself. I mean, you said your your new girlfriend, which you still have, um, you didn't know. No, no. Name. Oh. No, no, I didn't have her very long. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. That is the one in the book. Because I was going to say you were with one girl in the book there that you didn't know her name, I think even after you're with her for a couple of days. I wonder how she's going to feel about this if she reads the book. Well, that's not her name that I used in the book. I assume. <laughs> that's not- <laughs> I assume that's and what- also the reason I didn't know her name, I knew a name because on Facebook she had a different name. That's why I didn't know her actual name. Mm. You say that you write the diaries for yourself, but in the, but you have four books now, four books that are written from your diaries. 
do you ever find this affects how you write your diary now? Like when you sit down tonight to diss me and slag what I said to you or something like that in your diary? Yeah, I thought Jim was better researched than this. I was expecting a much better interview. <laughs> are, are you, are you going to be sort of uh, like bent by that at all? Or are you going to figure, oh, okay, I'm gonna, I might do a book on this. I might include this little conversation. He said this. No, there's no way this will be in a book, Jim. It's not entertaining enough. <laughs> <laughs> You're taking it too literal, Graham. I'm trying to give you an example. <laughs> no, I don't. I, I write for me. You know, sometimes it's just events. Sometimes it's, oh, you know, went to the supermarket and scratched the car. Sometimes it's thoughts. Sometimes it all depends how you feel. You know, from day to day, you feel different. Sometimes you're introspective. Sometimes you're just matter of fact. Sometimes you have good days. Sometimes you have bad days. Sometimes, you're, oh, I sold a lot of books on the internet. Sometimes it's like, oh, the water's been off for three days, you know. No, it's just what's on your mind at the time. It's not written to, to like I say, it's not done to be a, a sort of a, 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 an education on what life was like at this point in time, at this place on the planet. It's just me wanting to recall what I did from day to day. And, and there's a lot of little references um, in there just to things that are happening. I know at one point you're you're complaining about uh, your elbow or something like that. And that sort of comes up again. And you can see that it's it's just sort of a thought that you have or something that you're sort of dealing with on a day-to-day basis. But there's also other things in there that sort of give you, at least for me, it gives me an insight into what it's actually like to live in Bulgaria, for instance, when you're moving there and you're going through the work. You mentioned changing the water meter over. The one that stuck with me was changing the vehicles over and just how much hassle there was with that. And I think you're a pretty patient person for, for this sort of thing. But um, there's a huge learning curve there for you, you know, with the language barrier. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, communism may have gone, but there's still certain Soviet ways, certainly within the bureaucratic system. Um, yeah, registering a vehicle, you just take a day out of your life if you're lucky. And if one bit of paperwork is wrong and I had, I had like one letter on the VIN was wrong, didn't correspond. The, the 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 number stamped on the frame was different to the number on the paperwork, and that's it. <laughs> Fail. Forget it. Go home. Waste of time. <laughs> waste of money. Because you insured it too beforehand. Yeah, yeah. Too. It's part of the process, and that happened on two vehicles. Um, the, the 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 DVLA, the the driving vehicle. Uh, what do they call it in DMV? They call it in the states. Um, had simply put a wrong number. It, it didn't correspond. And that happened on two different vehicles. And on the KTM, that was it. Ended up having to go back to the UK and selling it. it was beyond any possible correction. And then I had a pickup truck and that was wrong as well. It was a G and they'd written a nine. It looked kind of similar, but it was it was clearly a typo, but not in this rigorous system, this strict system. It could not be forgiven. And I was with a Bulgarian girl who was helping me, helping me through the process, and it got referred to higher and higher ranking people with, you know, with uh, stripes on their shoulders and stuff from their from their high level, and um, who were shaking their heads at this misdemeanour that just couldn't be overlooked. And we had, we waited. They had their lunch sabbatical for ninety minutes. They came back. We waited. We waited. And I said to the girl I was with, I said, "Look, I'm going to have to ask you to go back in the office again and, and see what they're doing. You know, if they've forgotten about us, are they going to deal with us? What's happening?" And she went back in the office, and they had some raging Englishman yelling at them. Uh, they didn't speak any English, 
And so she was able to translate and explain what his problem was and, and calm the situation down. And because she translated, they kind of relented and said, okay, we'll turn the G into a nine and we'll let you go. I was like, yes. <laughs> Do you ever think that maybe those original mistakes were made by somebody you dissed in a previous book? <laughs> no, but that will happen. That'll be the reason when it happens next time, won't it? <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of, of dissing again, you know, the, the thing is that is a lot of the significance in our life, isn't it? When things go wrong and we talk about it with travel all the time, with motorcycle travel, when your motorcycle breaks down, that's a significant thing because things happen then and, you know, all kinds of events happen because of that. And it's, it's kind of the same from what I see in, in your diary. There's a lot of things that you talk about in there that you're, that you're not impressed with. Well, yeah, but the thing is, right, uh, do you know who Reynolds Fiennes is? No. Okay, well, he's an explorer. He's a British explorer, and he's, he's just the most hardcore human. He's single-handedly walked across Antarctic, and he's been up to the North Pole, and he's climbed the north face of the Eiger, and he's just this hardcore explorer. He's got an amazing book called um, Mad, Bad, and Dangerous to Be With. Of, of, I mean, he's just, whenever I'm freezing cold on a bike or something, I think, oh, what would Reynolds Fiennes do, you know? When he got frostbite crossing the Antarctic, he, he sawed he off his fingertips with a hacksaw. And <laughs> he's hardcore. <laughs> now, he, um, he was doing a, a trip, a two-man trip, where they were man-hauling their sledges across entire Antarctica, just unsupported, no dogs, nothing, just the two of them, hauling their sledges and all their supplies. And... Um, one of the things his mate had to do, one of the things he told was make sure you take a spare battery for your watch. It's imperative we know the time because we are navigating. It's, you know, 24 hours of daylight. We are navigating and we need to know exactly what time is so we can navigate. So consequently, his mate forgot to bring a battery. And they're walking across Antarctica. They're absolutely knackered. They've got meagre supplies. They're freezing cold. And he writes in his diary, you know, the bloody idiot forgot to bring the battery. I told him, bring a spare battery. Now we don't have accurate navigation and we don't have enough supplies to last us. But he wrote in his diary and he said, look, it was a waste of energy to say to him, why didn't you bring a battery? That isn't going to change anything. So he vents in his diary and he's over it. And that's kind of how I do it. If something pisses me off, I vent in my diary. It's a waste of energy. It's not going to change anything if I get in somebody's face because of something that has happened. So that's what the diaries are. They're a, a, a place to vent and a place to, to get rid of your anger. And then when you get drunk with that person, you're not going to be all in their face because it's over. It's done. It's finished. You know. So that's kind of a, a sort of little bonus, I think, of, of keeping the diary. What happens when it goes from the diary to the book, though? Does that change? I changed their name. <laughs> <laughs> but people recognize themselves. You, you, so when they see it, do you have somebody come up poking you with their finger saying, hey? Um, you know, it's happened when I've, I've done bike trips and hooked up with other people. And then those people will then sort of read the book later. And um, again, they've only admired the honesty. They've sort of said, you know, oh, that's how you felt. That's what we did. And um there are only a couple of real souls who I travel with, and um, two are tech twins in the first book, and I was, I was pretty harsh on them, but they deserved it. And, um, and, and you know, they want to write a book, they can say what I was, and they'll be perfectly justified in doing that. So, you know. <laughs> what do you expect, what do you want people to get from Nirvana? Entertained, basically. I just want them to be, to enjoy... Uh, the experience of, of what it's like to move to a different country where you don't know the language, don't know the alphabet, don't know anything about the culture, don't know much about the history, and um, 
just the adventure of having the courage to say, I'm not happy with the place where I live and the situation I live with, and I'm going to try what it's and see what it's like over there. Something that, you know, when we travel on our bikes or whatever, do we ever actually ask what we're traveling for? You know, are we ticking off countries? Are we looking for new cultures? Are we looking for better roads? Are we looking for nicer scenery? Are we looking for mountain twisties? Are we looking for a contentment? Are we looking for a place where we want to have our future? And I think I always was. You know, I always used to say, I'm happiest when I'm looking for happiness. And I found it. I found it here in Bulgaria. And the searching kind of stopped. You know, a lifetime of travel, 50, well, it was 50, but I mean, 35 years of travel. And uh, I was searching for something. I don't know if I actually knew that. But when I found it, I was able to recognize it. This is the place where I'm going to stop. I don't know if I'll live here forever, but right now it meets my needs. So I think people will perhaps question why they travel, question what it's like to, to, to put down roots somewhere. But ultimately, I hope just be entertained. I, I hope it's an entertaining book. And that's really, that's, that's what I want. That's enough. This book is about settling down. You've got other three other books that are they're about travels you've done. What are we doing next? Gardening, or are are you going to be are you going to be are you going to be traveling still? Okay, I'm just looking out at my little straw raised bed where I should be seeing tomato plants, but all I'm seeing are the sticks that are holding them because they've all died. <laughs> so gardening. I don't think there'll be a gardening book. <laughs> Tomatoes and how to kill them. <laughs> That was Graham Field from his home near Varna in Bulgaria. And you can buy his latest book called Near Varna When You Found Your Greener Grass directly from his website, grahamfield.co.uk. Of course, we'll have a link in the show notes for this episode on our website. Also on his website, he has some slogan t-shirts, stickers, and a box set that you can get his books in. And the Graham Field Near Varna hair care products, which include shampoo, conditioner, and highlighter tints. No, I'm kidding about the hair care products, but you can definitely get his new book at his website, nearvarna at gramfield.co.uk. I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you very much for being a part of it. Thank you to Elizabeth Martin, who is our producer working in the background here. And if you're not doing it already, we really need your support. It is built on a model of advertising and listener support. These are tough times, of course. We're, we're all feeling the COVID-19 thing. We are in particular. We really need you to get behind Adventure Rider Radio. If you like listening to this every week, you're enjoying what you're getting. Um, time to support if you're not doing it already. Also, we would love it if you would like our Facebook page and give us a rating on 
Facebook, and in particular, anywhere you get your podcasts. If you're getting them on iTunes, go to iTunes and give us a rating. Obviously, I want a five-star rating, um, but anywhere you, you're getting it. You know, if you're listening on Podbean or any one of the other places where you find um, Adventure Rider Radio, even Spotify, give us a rating. Anyway, time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name's Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening. I will talk to you next week. Hey, I'm Billy Ward, sometimes known as Billy Bike Truck, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.